Hi everyone, how are you doing? My name's Gareth Duffin and welcome to Know Your Shift, a podcast where we explore the challenges, opportunities and impact of change in all of our lives. Change can be unsettling and often difficult to navigate, but it's also a part of growth and progress. On this show, we'll be talking to experts, business leaders and everyday people about their experiences with change and how they've overcome obstacles to embrace it. Whether you're looking for inspiration, practical tips or just a fresh perspective on change, we get actionable advice. So let's dive into the world of change, embrace the unknown and help you to change your direction. So for this week's episode, we talk all about people and their careers. And if you work in build to rent, purpose-built student accommodation or co-living, my guest this week is someone you want to listen to and, and perhaps have a conversation with. So James Housden is head of build to rent, PBSA and co-living at Property Management Recruitment. He's been in recruitment for over 11 years and spent all those 11 years in these sectors, which gives him, you know, some great advice to be able to pass on he talks about some of the mistakes that he made along the way and you know practical tips for candidates and for uh, clients wanting to hire the best talent we talk about james's journey into recruitment and making a move from one company to another himself and what that taught him about how he can be best placed to help people with with their careers and and how to make that jump we talked about how build to rent is perhaps attracting some of the best talent from from PBSA as the sector's a little bit further ahead, and and how he still feels like a new manager even though he's been managing a team for many years, and uh, and how he can apply that to helping clients hire the next generation of managers. So I really enjoyed this conversation because of the practical advice that we we got from James to, to be able to give to people about their careers, about making a move. And um, we also talk about his upcoming, the biggest move of all. So let's dive right in to my conversation with James Houston. Hi, James. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We always talk about change. So what would you say is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? It's a really interesting question. And I would think about this in in two different ways, I guess. I think people have challenges in their own personal life um, and people also have their their challenges with with work, which obviously is is where we do spend most of our time. Um, For those who who don't, you know, very lucky, very fortunate. (laughs) Um, But I do enjoy what I do. So that that, that, um, is a bonus, I would say. Um, But certainly in, in work, I think actually the sort of, biggest change and transition that I had to make personally um, was becoming a manager. And in recruitment, there are very different ways of structuring the the business. um, And and you have sort of non-billing managers, we we call them, who are essentially very people-focused managers there to ensure that the consultants are sort of hitting targets, working towards KPIs, as as any manager does. 
um, but they aren't targeted then around any of the sort of sales aspect or, of recruitment, so to speak. That that wasn't the case with me and, and never has been the case with me. I've always worked as a consultant as well as managing staff and you know, being quite a high performing consultant, making that transition into a manager was was quite a, a dramatic change actually for me. And the biggest thing I struggled with, I guess, was learning to not be selfish. It was very hard to delegate work when when you know you know it's for the benefit of of the company, it's for the benefit of your staff members and you want to see them succeed, but it, it equally does take kind of that strength to stop being selfish. And that was quite a big initial challenge for me when I first became a, a, a manager um, in a recruitment company. Um, and then from there, there, there have been you know numerous challenges that all managers, I'm sure, at some point in, in their careers face. Um, and I've, I've been managing staff now for probably six maybe seven years um and I would actually say I'd still class myself as a relatively new manager I'm always learning and and trying to develop how I manage and I think that for me was was just such the biggest change really of trying to adapt from being very selfish with my time being very selfish in my approach to affording others time helping people in in their career and helping people to actually map out their career as well which is really funny considering that is my job you know <laughs> to help other people in their careers and, and help them so yeah I think for me that that has been sort of the the biggest change for me it, I did weigh it up actually with with obviously moving companies as well so I, I have in my career moved from one recruitment company to another and I, I did want to talk about that because obviously Again, in working in recruitment, I am encouraging essentially people to do the same and, and move from their current employer to another. Fortunately, not dragging anyone by their heels to do so. But I think it was really good learning for me actually to do that myself and, and more so to go through the emotions of leaving an employer to joining a new one going through that sort of process of handing in your notice is is it's really daunting isn't it and and how do you approach that and uh you know, I had known my former employer for and worked for them for for more than seven years and we, we built a very good friendship I would say so it is very difficult and I think it really helped actually me and my career to understand what people are going through from that psychological standpoint as well. Um, when they are making these these career moves but then also on the flip side of it when I joined the the new business that I was working for the culture was extremely different um, processes extremely different and seeing that and going through that and and feel again the feeling that I had um, and going through that and, and slight uncertainty you know have I made the right decision here how do I feel about this um and I did, uh, you know, have conversations internally, and I think that really helped. But going through that particular change, I think for me personally, and also for my career, has been really useful. So that I feel like I've gone through and can understand from a psychological point of view what others have gone through in that in that change themselves. So that 
I can try and offer you know my two cents, my piece of advice around that as well. Um, so sorry, I've I've, I've I've given you two changes there, um, but but yeah, I think they they are certainly the two that really stick out for me um, in my life. Really, is is that transition from one employer employer to another, um, and also becoming a, a manager. It's interesting what you say about. Um, you still see yourself as a new manager after how many years did you say that was? Was it is six, six, seven years? Yeah, so six or seven years of being a manager, and you class yourself as being a new manager. I wonder when people come to you looking for first time managers, what, how, you know, how long they expect that, you know, how much experience they expect somebody to have in, or, you know, maybe not as first time managers, but if, you know, you, someone who's an expert in recruiting managers, sees yourself like that. I wonder, do you, do you think the clients appreciate that, that actually it takes a long time? I mean, I guess it takes for your entire career, you never stop learning, but it takes a long time to become comfortable as a manager. I think that's really interesting because the certainly the criteria that we are given when we are recruiting for managerial roles, I would say looking at experience they are typically looking somewhere between three to five years of, of management experience so i like that you've raised that because i've never thought about that until right now um that there probably are people out there who who feel the same as me and i guess maybe to a degree it could be partly imposter syndrome which is something i learned about last year um actually just through through my fiance funny enough um, and and some of the things that she she was going through, um, kind of you know her mental battles, so to speak. Maybe that's a, a a part of it, but I certainly feel that as a manager, I am constantly evolving, and I, it, that feels you know on a daily basis. Certainly, I'm I'm learning, trying to absorb from other managers, but also listening to my staff members you know I, I think they're they are and I'm very fortunate to have very trusting um staff members who feel confident to talk to me about my management style um and talk about how they like to be managed so that I can adapt that but certainly I think because of that I constantly feel like I'm I'm learning and that's why I guess I I still feel um <laughs> like I'm relatively new to it maybe there's no I, I wonder if there is anyone out there who does feel really competent and, and capable in managing people and can wholeheartedly say you know I, I am a fantastic manager um I certainly have have met in in my career and in my time people who I believe are really fantastic managers and have heard from you know, uh, staff members that they are managing really good feedback uh, as you do, which which certainly helps in in with recruitment, etc. But um, yeah, it's an interesting point to raise whether people actually did you did, did how do you feel in in regards to management? Did you ever have those same queries? Or I used to think I was a great manager when I was younger, particularly after a short time in sort of your first managerial role and you have success, perhaps this is a selfish point of view, but sort of thinking that, well, I'm, I must be good at this because I'm doing this, this is working and I'm achieving success. 
you know, a particular example, managing a, a, a smaller site, you know, a PBSA site, and then was thrust into a, into a really complicated, different market, big site, problematic. And I was taken there because I was doing well at my site and thought, well, if I apply what I learned there as a manager here, I will have success because I've always had success doing that. And I didn't. Uh, and I think that's that's where you want to learn, isn't it? So hopefully, uh, not hopefully not learning by mistakes, but certainly uh, I think that's that's my take on it was I, I thought I went back to then realizing actually you're constantly learning as a manager. And I think, uh, I think that sort of stayed with me not to rest on my laurels too much after, uh, after getting burnt that way. Obviously the focus of this, uh, uh, of this podcast is, um, is change. Obviously you focus on student accommodation, build to rent, co-living, you know, what, um, from a recruitment point of view. So what is what are you seeing as the biggest changes that are happening in those areas from from a people point of view um, at the moment? I think co-living has become really exciting recently. Um, I think we've talked about co-living now for a good number of years. Um, I, I would put it in the region of five, six years. And I say talked about, there aren't many operational co-living assets here in the uk and and for the amount of talk that there was about it you would expect there to be a lot more but actually we are now seeing that investment turn into operational assets new operators coming to the forefront of of co-living as well and i'm really excited about it um you know uh, as you said recruiting into purpose-built student accommodation, built to rent, co-living feels like this quite exciting asset class that doesn't sit sort of in between those either. It does, it's just slightly different with that blend of hospitality and short stay there. Um, but I think in terms of all three sectors, really they're, they're attracting a very similar talent pool. Um Built to rent, as, as you've probably seen yourself as well, is, is attracting a very large amount of people from purpose-built student accommodation. Um, and I think from, from speaking to those individuals that I've also helped to make that transition, um, it has very much reignited a flame. Um, certainly, there have been a lot of instances of individuals I've worked with who have done maybe three, four cycles Um in, in PBSA terms, that is, and, and felt that they need a change, need something to really shake it up. Um, and built to rent is, is a, a really good sort of option there for them to do that. I haven't seen as many people make a transition into co-living as yet from, from purposeful student accommodation, but I do think that is because it's still a much smaller asset class in comparison to to build to rent so the opportunities probably aren't necessarily there as much um what i would like to see more if i'm completely honest um especially in build to rent at the moment i would like to see a higher influx of talent from hospitality from retail um i think it's going through really interestingly a, a really similar cycle to PBSA. You know, I, I, 
And I remember saying this to people and saying, oh, build to rent is like what PBSA was five years ago. We have a couple of years down the line from me saying that now, and actually we're still doing the same thing. So PBSA, when it first started really growing, a lot of the clients, a lot of uh, the operators, owner operators wanted talent with that experience from, from purposeful accommodation. So there was a lot of headhunting um, and a lot of people moving from operator to operator. And that over the years, I think as salaries started to increase bit by bit, um, people realized that, that that was unsustainable effectively. So started to look at talent outside of purposeful accommodation. And, and that's when we found, you know, the, the transferable skill sets from retail, from hospitality, and started to bring in that talent, with, which actually evolved the sector and brought new ideas to it, which was fantastic. We're seeing the same thing in build to rent. Everyone is, 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 you know, we're seeing new operators come. And I think that that's what's really interesting. You have, you know, new opcos created that are then wanting to bring in talent from build to rent to ensure their success, so to speak. So they're then headhunting, happy to potentially increase the salary slightly again. And we're kind of missing out, but it is, we're slowly getting there, but I I, I would like to see more change there um, and, and more openness, I think, to that talent pool from hospitality retail that PBSA certainly realized and has realized now for a number of years that, that, that it's a really good talent pool to tap into to advance the business more than anything. Um, so I think that that's kind of what I'm seeing in terms of certainly site staff um, some of the head office staff as well um, from an investment perspective pbsa btr co-living all in in a relatively similar space uh, there there are lots of uh, investors interested um, looking at the yields in in all asset classes they're still relatively strong there's still certainly a huge demand in pbsa isn't there which i'm I can't believe, you know, we're still at this point. I remember, I think you and I having a conversation years back of certain cities, um, you know, Newcastle, it was always one that was talked about of just being so over oversupplied. And, uh, you know, we're, we're back again with actually the conversation of, is there enough purposeful student accommodation in, in the UK to meet demand? Um, so really impressive that we're in that position um, and great for the investors to be able to, look at I think PBSA alongside BTR and co-living as asset classes and have quite a you know not hugely diverse portfolio um, but be able to have that diverse portfolio there as well. Do you think now and I agree with you in terms of where the PBSA sector is do you think that there's going to be a bit of drain on the best talent in PBSA looking at moving to build to rent or co-living or because of the upsurge again in demand post-COVID, is that seeing a resurgence that actually people are willing to want to stay in PBSA? Or is build to rent co-living shiny and new and they can go and progress their career that way and go and take the best people? Are we going to see a drain on great talent out of PBSA? Or as you say, are we going to backfill that in PBSA with people from hospitality and retail? Difficult question to, to answer. As I said before, I do think that people who have worked in PBSA for a number of years are, like you've pointed out, seeing BTR and co-living as that shiny new asset class. And 
uh, as I mentioned, there have been a number of people that I've helped to make that transition who have said that it has really reignited their, their passion doing that. I think it will get to a point where the BTR providers will feel that we have kind of cherry-picked, so to speak, the best talent from, from PBSA. And actually where PBSA started to bring in the talent from hospitality and retail they may need a number of years in the student cycle to develop their skill sets their understanding uh, the relationships as well within in the sector relationships with the universities um with, with the with with the, you know any of the third parties as well so we may get to that point where actually naturally btr and co-living operators have to look outside of that pool of talent in PBSA um, to to and and as I mentioned before, that a lot of the briefs that we have uh, from our clients in BTR is to to bring in talents um, who have experience in the sector. So as I said, we're, we're you know headhunting again there as we were in PBSA, but maybe we will get to that point um, where they will they, they almost won't have a choice anymore but to look at that talent from hospitality leisure retail um i also think that the cause of that is the and again very similar to ppsa um when when it was at its inception is the the growth and the pace of the growth so that a new entrance into the market as i said are trying to set themselves up for success are then wanting to headhunt that talent as opposed to being able to have the time to grow, nurture, develop, train these people. You know, putting someone on the IRPM course or your ARLA course, that's going to take them a substantial amount of time to complete um, before they have that knowledge under their belt. So where these businesses are growing in portfolio scales so quickly, I can see why we have the brief of, of, you know, first instance, can you go and headhunt and see if you can attract that talent that is ready made for us. And how do you, so talking about the best talent within the industry already, clearly you've got a large network of people within, in those sectors. How do you identify the future stars? You know, what, how, how do you go about that? Because you, know, you must be thinking, and when you're talking, you know, when a client comes to you and, you know, or they might be setting up a new opco as you've done, um, you know, and helps them to do that, you know, what, what sort of things, how are you, how are you identifying the best people in the industry for when those roles come up? A lot of it is based on the client's brief. Um, there's an element to it as well of understanding the culture of the business or the culture that that business is wanting to create. And then from it, I'll be honest, it's from, from countless numbers of interviews of meeting people, having a lunch, having a coffee, just, just to understand, you know, what people have done in their career, what they can bring to the table from their own experiences and also what they are like as as a person you know what what do they enjoy doing outside of of work as well and what sort of culture do they like working in do they like the really fast paced environment of a startup and don't mind 
that there are going to be a lot of hiccups and challenges on the way on the other end of the spectrum. You know, some people really like working in the larger organizations that have a lot of systems and processes already put in place and they're very much follow, following a, a guide um, and able to work their way through a business because there's very set policy procedures and guide and growth platform for them. So um, always based on the client brief around what it is they are looking for in terms of that talent. And then I, I really do think there's a big piece to be said around the individual and whether they are right for the culture of the business are they going to work well with the hiring manager um that certainly has a, a huge part to play in it for me and I, I i can only say in in regards to actually identifying that talent um i think after you know being in in recruitment now for 10 nearly 11 years um i'm quite fortunate to, to still be recruiting into very similar sectors so that I have developed that network over an extremely long period of time to know good individuals. And, and equally, um, I ask for referrals on a, on a daily basis. Um, I, I've found probably some of the, the, the most talented people that way, if I'm completely honest, through people saying, oh, I, you know, I've, I've worked with so-and-so um, at this business. They were fantastic. And, and even approaching at times people with a brief um asking them you know this is the brief i've been given by by my clients we know each other very well i, I know you know this the, the client would like someone similar to yourself in terms of that do you know anyone that you've worked with who you've worked really well with who has this skill set but is is as a person and personality wise and traits are they quite similar to you and that that's how i think actually we find the very very best talent is through referrals and how did you learn to do that yeah anyone sit you down and train you how to be a recruiter not really <laughs> <laughs> um and made some 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 big mistakes along the way um i would say as well so very fortunate to to still be able to work with a lot of you know similar people that I have done over that duration of time um but very much a, a sort of learning as you go um job I've, I've finished university um and went straight into recruitment um and I've been in it ever since and, and I I as I said before I do really enjoy it um but I never necessarily received a huge amount of training. So I sort of had to learn as you go. And as I said, made the mistakes along the way. There's one that will always, always stick with me. Um, and I think the, if funnily enough, the person that I upset, I actually ended up um, finding a job for uh, in, in in the end, in a, in a later life, in a few years down the line. But um, it will always stick with me because we had had been building a very good relationship and this is this is when they were a client of of mine as opposed to a candidate and um i was set a brief by another client and and very much needed to headhunt um for this brief and uh i called someone who worked in this person's team whilst they were sitting next to them yeah uh <laughs> so uh sort of explain the brief 
left that phone call received another phone call straight away I, I saw the name and I, I kind of I, I knew basically at that point and, and this is a, a good number of years ago now I've, I've very much learned from this mistake but it will always stick with me um, and I think that's one of the things that's really crucial in recruitment is that it is very much a, a relationship built business um, so just to be, I've learned to be very careful um, to not upset people. I think there are a lot of talented people in the organizations that I recruit for. And yes, other clients that I work with would, would most likely be very interested in those, but it comes at a, a, a an expense and a cost of, of more so relationship and reputation, um, which I can't afford to, to lose. So I've learned to be very sensible um, and, and tactile in my approach. And I think that's where I mentioned earlier, referrals um, are, are actually quite good as well, because a lot of the time I'm asking people who I have built up a very long-term relationship with and a lot of trust there um, to say, you know, do you know somebody who who might be worth speaking to about this brief? And a lot of times I'm then, I, I, for the majority being introduced to someone who is actually actively looking to leave their current employer so it makes that conversation feel more moral if if that makes sense yeah it does and i think it's hard to know whether somebody's really looking or not or you know i guess that's that that is tough to to plot that out in your head especially you know when you're you're given a brief um, and I'm sure you've got great clients, but uh, having been one of your clients, I'm sure the briefs aren't always 100% uh, amazing. Speaking for myself only, of course, but uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I can imagine, you know, sometimes you must be uh, uh, trying to put pieces of a puzzle together. So, yeah, I can see how that, that would be difficult. The good thing about podcasting is hopefully we reach lots and lots of people rather than, you know, talking to people on an individual basis. So if you could talk to all the potential future candidates out there that you're going to help find their next move, what are the sort of things that are going on at the moment that they should stop doing or maybe start doing in terms of tips and advice, practical things that people can be doing before uh, before speaking to you about their next move? I think, I think having a, 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 this is a very you know, basic point, but having a well-written CV is still key, um, you know, in this day and age, no matter how good my relationship is with any of my clients, they will still always want to see a CV um, or, or of a candidate. So having a well-written CV is, is quite key. And I would say build a relationship with a good recruiter um, who can help you and advise you with your CV and afford you the time to talk through your CV with you. Um, you need for that recruiter to really interview you in depth and go through your CV to ensure that you're also highlighting, you know, the best aspects of yourself and your career on that CV and it to be written for other people to understand and potentially other hiring managers in other sectors to understand. Um, I remember 
there was a candidate that I was working with who worked for one of the UK's largest hotel chains. Um, and they used a lot of internal uh, rhetoric on their CV, which I, I had actually come to understand through through headhunting people from this this particular hotel chain, fortunately. But to put that CV in front of a hiring manager from PBSA or BTR or co-living, some of the terminology that they are using does not make sense. Um, so sometimes it is a case of when you are writing, looking at the CV, making sure that somebody who doesn't understand your business, doesn't understand your sector, can understand what you are doing. So brings me back to building that relationship with with a recruiter that can take the time to speak to you about your CV in detail and understand your career history and achievements, I think is is really important. I, I think that would be my main point, actually, to say to all, all perspective candidates out there, and even if they aren't working with myself as a recruiter, um, it is to build that relationship. You know, it's really, really important. And we, 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 we're human beings at the end of the day. Um, and we like to have a conversation, you know, that's probably why any, any good recruiter I would hope enjoys speaking to people and engaging with them. Um, but certainly uh, I feel I've been able to help people a lot more so where I've built up a, a good relationship with them. And sometimes that is very very quick and it can happen quite quickly other times it's over a course of a number of years if, if they aren't necessarily actively looking at the particular time when I first meet them but you know things change over a number of years but building that relationship and, and understanding what your recruiter can bring for you and having that trust in in the recruiter as well I think is really really important um and part of that, like I said, where sometimes building that relationship is quicker than others, I think a lot of that comes down to the trust that that people build. So I often ask for a lot of people to to trust me, and I think people um, refer friends, former colleagues to me because they've had a good experience and, ha and have had built that trust with me. Um, certainly, you know, I, I I ask and and try to ask a lot of the people that I have helped to secure new careers for um, a, a recommendation, so that I can say to other people, you know, here's here's a number of recommendations that I have received for the work that I've done in this sector, whether it be PBSA, BTR Co Living, to really put people at ease and for them to to trust me um, to help them. You know, it's it's. We talked about the change earlier, and I said as, as one of the two changes doing that career move was so impactful and understanding that it really isn't straightforward to, to change a job sometimes. You know, even the, the people I have known have been very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, I guess to, yeah, in simp simplest terms, just very upset with their employer. <laughs> um, and even in those times, I think there's still a lot that you think about when you are deciding to leave and make that transition and change. So, um, yeah, just just sort of building that relationship with someone that you can talk to. I, I certainly have a number of candidates um, 
clients as well that I speak to on a really regular basis and just just have a chat with and can often offer some form of advice you know I'm not I'm not a psychologist that's for sure um and I'm not trained in psychology in, in any way shape or form but I have worked in recruitment for 11 years now spoken to people for you know five days a week for 11 years about employment um so I've picked up a lot of things along the way and you know I, I will always offer people what I feel is is my best advice I will always tell people of course it is just my advice I'm not you know trained in 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 psychology as a professional but I like to think I am a professional now in in recruitment so I can offer that advice I guess at least um so sorry to go back to your original point Gareth um I, I would say it's about building that relationship and trust with with a recruiter um I've worked with candidates who are very active in the market and work with a number of recruiters um I can understand why they do that. There, there certainly is a positive. But I think if you build that relationship with the right recruiter, um, ask them, you know, what what if if someone approached me now saying I want to work in the build to rent sector, I would I, you know, very happily talk to them and sort of explain all of the clients in the build to rent sector that we work with and the type of roles that we are, are recruiting for and have historically recruited for and hopefully paint a very clear transparent picture of ultimately this is how i can help you um and i would hope other recruiters would do that as well but i think you know certainly in btr we we work with around 90 percent of the build to rent providers in that sector so anyone coming to me i i, I really do try and reassure them that you know, we myself and, and the team at PMR can really help them um, to make that transition into build to rent or, or make that move within build to rent where they can um, and therefore uh, I, I would always prefer working with candidates when they are working with us kind of solely um, whether that be myself or, or my team as well um, just to really help them and kind of guide them in that sector, um, whether it be PBSA, co-living, build to rent, as to which employer is going to be best for them, you know, which culture is going to be better suited. And um, I think having built up that that knowledge and working in the sectors for such a, a long amount of time now has enabled me to be able to really be transparent and paint that picture to people of, what certain employers can offer what what they can bring to the table so to speak and the type of cultures that they are going to be working in if they're working in those businesses um so yeah i think building that trust with a knowledgeable recruiter is really beneficial um so for those candidates um, and, and you know, if we're talking about future candidates of of mine, so definitely, um, you know, ask ask the question. You know, what what who do you recruit for? What do you typically recruit? How can how can you help me? Can you help me? You know, I've had uh, a lot of people in in the years as well come to me who I've been very upfront with and said, look, I I, I would love to help you, but I don't think I can. You know, I. I don't work with the the right clients and what you're seeking or um i can't certain working patterns as well come into play at times you know they're not every single 
one of my clients can offer flexible working. Um, certainly, you know, this as well, Gareth, from, from site staff, you know, but, but they need to be there on site. <laughs> um, so I can't always uh, offer people in employment of flexible working um, in those instances. But I think it's so important to ask your recruiter and feel confident in building that relationship with them to get the best out of them. I think that's that's really good advice, and particularly asking, you know, recruiter questions. Um, you know, I think is is definitely good advice. How do you ever have to have conversations with candidates where they're adamant they want to apply for a specific role, and you think they're either not quite ready for it or they're not quite the right fit? Mm-hmm. Um, are you making those judgments and relaying that back to? candidate or are you still putting that person maybe in front of the hiring manager what's your sort of because those conversations can't be easy to have they aren't um and i try to be as transparent as i can with everyone and so i do have to have those those conversations uh with people i tend to uh, as you said there really go down the line of explaining why i personally think that that role is not suited to them for for you know whatever for reason it may be that they don't have the sort of right number of years of experience in x y z whatever the requirements are there from from the brief or um also sometimes if 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 i feel that from what they've described to me from their initial sort of brief of their job search that that particular company can't offer what it is they are really looking for. Um, But I will always have that conversation with a candidate, but then also if they are still adamant after, after speaking to me about that, I will speak to my clients and say, you know, I've been approached and I've been speaking to this person. I've, I've even just, you know, met them a few weeks ago or I've known them for a number of years they really do want to pursue this opportunity and and these are the reasons why they feel they are suitable for the role equally these are the reasons why i feel that they might not be suitable but it isn't my decision it shouldn't ever be the decision of the recruiter um it should always be the decision of of you know the hiring manager in the business ultimately um what i can't do is is submit a short list of now 100 people to, <laughs> to a role um so and that is 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 my job as the recruiter to find and identify the right talent but also to make the hiring process for my clients far easier um but in answering your question if someone is adamant um i am not going to stop that individual from having their profile seen and re- reviewed by my client I think the positive um, thing there is is that I do have very good relationships with my clients from working with them for a number of years. So I feel very comfortable in in doing that and you know, most likely just picking up the phone to have a, a conversation with the hiring manager because it's a, a, a far more sort of relaxed setting than, than sending an email. And I don't think often you can always portray what you want to in an, in an email. Um, so. I, I would always in those instances you know, ask if my, my client would be available for uh, a conversation to talk about that. Um, very difficult conversations to have with, with candidates. And I certainly have had those 
a number of times over the years. Equally, there are people that um, respect, you know, my feedback, um, take it on board and and move on and wait for, you know, wait for the next right opportunity to 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 come, which is is really good. And I I, I appreciate that when when people can um, kind of respect my feedback to them but equally as i said if someone is adamant i think it's the right thing to do i'm i shouldn't be a gatekeeper um you know to that if if you are because i'm not 100 percent always right as well i have learned that i am not 100 percent always right yeah you mentioned flexible working and and i guess uh home working you know is a big part of that flexible working is that causing problems in recruitment processes with misalignment you know, it, uh, even getting further down into the stages of a recruitment process, you know, are is that still? Are we still having to have ne- negotiations over the amount of flexible working? And you know, uh, I I think it's a good thing when in used in the right way and pr- operators are set up to to allow flexible working and communication in the right way. And I think there's there's some doing it really well and some that that probably aren't but is that still causing problems for for recruiters in the middle of those negotiations most definitely um i think because we've tackled it now sort of coming away from from covid um i've got very used to having those conversations up front um and and taking on sort of the, the requirements from a candidate now it, it is a question that I will ask and be very upfront about then the type of opportunities that our clients can offer um there are site-based roles which cannot offer flexible working um equally there are other businesses that are more open to it or head office type roles that that, that are um and in some instances uh, I've said to candidates who that you know certainly been interested in build to rent, talked through with their skill set and experience, talked through the various working patterns and requirements from some of the build to rent providers that, and ultimately it's it's not the right sector for them actually um, because they they want to have more flexible working than that sector can provide. Similarly with with PBSA, I guess as well. Um, it's been really interesting, I think, with the build to rent providers who I would hope, uh, and certainly speaking to them, I don't think anyone feels that they've really um, sort of nailed <laughs> their operational strategy yet. Everyone is still evolving. Um, and so the the kind of working hours and patterns have been changing a lot as we've moved through the years to make sure that they are attracting the right talent as well um you know we when we first started started sort of working with built to rent providers for the on-site staff there was quite a desire to have on-site staff work a five over seven working pattern which is very similar to what you see in hospitality um and some of the earlier and later shifts so some of the shifts ending at 8 p.m um some of them starting at 8 a.m as well and that's been interesting to see how that sector has also started to change 
the ways in which they're operating their buildings so that they are ensuring that they can attract the right talent. Um, you know, you, you know this from from PBSA, Gareth, the say an accommodation manager or operations manager, whichever title we give it. You know, they typically in purpose built student accommodation work Monday to Friday, nine till half five or, or thereabouts, you know, a 37 and a half or a 40 hour working week at most. Um, so some of our clients in build to rent were very unable to attract that talent because they were trying to recruit on a, on a five over seven day working pattern and people didn't want to, to lose out on their, their weekends. Um, and I think it, it's really interesting to see these conversations continue around the flexibility. Um, and I have seen our clients sometimes mold their briefs around certain individuals as well, which that that's probably um, where you said earlier, sort of later in the line of, of the recruitment process. Um, it can be tricky because our client wants to meet that candidate and see the talent that they could acquire so to speak um before they then make that amendment and and concede upon their this is my rigid working pattern that you you must be in the office or you know you must be at site um for these times so that's probably when it becomes trickier um but i think we certainly learned from coming out of COVID and having a lot of conversations during that period of, of, of COVID with people about their requirements, just to be very upfront about it. And it's now um, kind of one of the interview questions in our, in our you know, first interviews with prospective new candidates, I'd say, to ensure that we, we can, you know, our clients can meet their requirement there. And talking about, you know, perhaps focusing on ABSA, in particular and that sector how would you describe the state of of the talent in the sector at the moment you know are you, are you positive about the people that are a being attracted to it or or already in it you know is um it is the is the future looking bright for the talent pool in in pbsa i i think it is um and we talked about it earlier i think there is still a lot of growth happening in, in the sector and a lot of investment still which yeah, it 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 used to surprise me, as we said. I felt that, that that it was potentially becoming oversupplied, but but the numbers suggest that it's not, and and investors have confidence in 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 the sector. We're still seeing a lot of portfolios being transacted, which is impressive. Um, there was, you know, there was a natural sort of lull um, over that period of COVID, which you would expect and expect from any sector. But um, what I've really enjoyed seeing. Um, from recruiting into PBSA it, it is the talent that that they're bringing in from, you know, really, I guess, diverse talent from, from different employers, from the leisure industry, hospitality industry and retail. Um, and I think by doing that, they've brought in other skill sets that they potentially didn't even necessarily know that they needed. You know, it's just another pair of eyes and another way of thinking and a, a different approach to, processes policies procedures kpis you know uh, customer service really important um so I, I i do still think that pbsa probably are sort of a few steps ahead there actually than than some of um, the other 
sectors that we recruit into but there there are some fantastic people working in in pbsa and who have had a number of years really proving themselves and certainly uh there are numerous managers that that you know i think really highly of um i've heard from their employees their their approach to management um has been fantastic so yeah i to answer your question i think there is still really good talent in in pbsa um and i think there's still i think it's still an attractive sector to work in um from you know especially from hospitality and leisure i think what what pbsa can offer is a very similar environment with new challenges um still in in a growing sector um and to to some degree in some instances and it's not the same for everyone but for people that are looking for an improved work-life balance i would say i think pbsa is still very attractive to people and i only just thought of this question but um uh, so forgive me uh i asked you earlier what advice would you give to um candidates what advice would you give to clients maybe in in the sector you know that um perhaps hopefully lots of them will listen to this podcast and take your advice on board so uh you know what advice would you give to to the clients looking for the best talent you know um obviously they're going to come and speak to you but you know what what could they be doing better perhaps to to uh attract and maybe retain the, yeah. the best talent retention always such a huge topic as you can imagine when it comes to to recruitment and you need to have a good onboarding program for staff it is vital um and I have worked with businesses in the past that haven't necessarily had that in place and it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't always work out. Sometimes it does. If you have those individuals that are, you know, wanting to work in a more startup, fast paced environment, they tend to be the businesses that don't have that, that good onboarding plan. Um, but for those businesses that are at a smaller scale, growing from a small to a medium business, I think it's really important, as I said, for the onboarding program plan, but also to talk about that person's career and their trajectory and, and that longer term plan for them as well. People are, and certainly actually what's really interesting, you know, Gen Z now, coming into the employment market um, and where we're working with those individuals I think they are actually holding a lot more it is it's, it's, sorry it's a lot more important to them the values of the business and the culture and they want to see that from the very off as well so having that built into the onboarding is just as important um so for for retention, for me, having a very good onboarding um, program is is vital. Their introduction to the business and various staff members, and not sort of siloing those individuals as well into this is the team you will be working with, or there's just the department. But really, give people that broader exposure to the business. I appreciate that that will take time 
um, away from that individual when they they can be training on their new role and what they're doing. But I think what you will also see is a is a fast is, is better retention, you know, better buy in from that staff member if they feel that they are part of that bigger picture and working towards something which, you know, you don't always build into your onboarding if you are doing that as the hiring manager. So it's very good to expose them to other people within within the business as well. Um, in terms of attracting the right talent, um, I think that, you know, as, as a business, marketing is, is really key. Um, so ensuring that your marketing is correct, just hiring the right talent to start with. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but the, 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 you know, having the right people in your in your business. And uh, I spoke with um, a CEO maybe a month ago. Um, this is a client that I've wanted to work for for some time. Um, who had actually recently hired a, a new CEO who I've known from from um previous clients I've worked with so we have a very good relationship and um he you know actually said to me just just in terms of the hiring strategy moving forward just don't want to hire any dickheads um <laughs> excuse my French there but that really stuck with me and I, I I think it's so so true you know if you can build a business with really good people that are bought into the mission and the journey of the business. When you're attracting that other talent, if you are talking about the mission, the journey, what you want to achieve, the right people should be attracted to that, almost magnetized to it and want to join. But you need to, to ensure you've got that message, very clear marketing, branding, um, having the right people you know, talking about your business as well um, is really important. Um, so yeah, I think that the two points there for me is, is just setting yourself up for success and just ensuring that you have the right onboarding um, program or platform for new starters, new staff members, setting out longer term career trajectories for people. Um, and I think often something that gets overlooked is the training piece. Um, and I appreciate that with these very fast growing sectors that it, it can be difficult to afford the time to have staff members going through this training, but in the longer term and for retention, it, it, it's so important. Um, you know, IRPM, ARLA, you know, we talk about all the time in, in, in build to rent and PVSA. Um, you know, there's, 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 huge amounts of courses that people can be going on and learning more and i think you will see better retention um of staff members if if they if they become qualified um so potentially build that into the longer term plan for those staff members as well is it tough being a recruiter <laughs> it's not easy gareth that's for sure um it's recruitment is, and I think always will be a roller coaster. You know, you do have the these amazing highs and amazing lows. Um, we recently um, sent our, our staff on resilience training. Um, really important to be able to build up that resilience. Um, but 
as I said, I, I really enjoy what I do. Um, and I think, and I hope that other recruiters working in recruitment industry do love what they do as well and and, and have that passion for their sectors that, that they're recruiting into um, their job itself and, and just, just you know, helping people uh, and speaking to people. Um, so important. So uh, it's a very t- tough environment to work in, as I'm sure many, it, you break recruitment down, it's sales effectively, right? So I, I can appreciate all sales um, industries probably similar in that, that, you know, roller coaster analogy I've used there. Um, but I think as long as you know that you built up the resilience and you enjoy it, then then it can be a very rewarding um, job as well. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of satisfaction from helping people in in what is a huge decision, a huge change in their life, um, and doing that successfully, you know, it, it's it's great, and I I, I think. I've been very fortunate that I've been in that position so many times that I've now have relationships that have spanned over, you know, in some instances over a decade now. Um, and that's great. You know, I, I, I love that side to, to recruitment. So yes, it is, it is very tough. It's a tough job. It's a tough industry, but it's very rewarding at the same time. So how do you relax? How do you switch off? How do you uh, put put recruiting to one side and uh, you know take the take the strain off? Holidays, <laughs> <laughs> nice holidays um, in in the sun. I've just just come back um, from Coachella actually, um, which was yeah amazing. Um, exceeded all all of my expectations actually, so that was impressive. But um holidays i i cycle um a lot as well which i've i've found certainly coming into late 20s early 30s now ha- has 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 you know been really life changing for me actually um it really helps to clear your mind just just being out on the bike you know if i'm cycling to you know I, I live in Wandsworth if I'm cycling from here out to Windsor and back or, or you know if it'd be down to Surrey and that could be three hours out on the bike with just your own thoughts but actually you you tend to sort of really switch off and you get into this state of a flow when you're on the bike as well and if I can get to that point it, it feels fantastic you know you sort of shut off from all of those negative thoughts and you just really relax into cycling bike. And I guess it must be all the adrenaline endorphins flowing through that you just feel really positive. There is, there's nothing better to me than cycling with nice weather, bit of a cool breeze, nice sunshine, just really relaxing. I think that that's, yeah, it is really important um, to balance out the stress levels from recruitment and and most likely for many sales roles um so for me though those two things are probably my vices uh holiday and and cycling certainly helped me um and i would i would really and strongly recommend to people that are 
kind of struggling with with the stresses of of work if they don't already sort of exercise or, or have you know a hobby that is is um active to, to to seek something that they enjoy um because having cycling you know I, I didn't I used to play a lot of football um and I moved away from that when I moved to London played a lot of five aside still um and that's that's slowly becomes you know a bit laborious it's mainly in the evening after work and recruitment can often pull you to working slightly longer and abnormal hours at times because you you know need to speak to people outside of their working time as well right so um finding cycling for me has has helped me massively in my life so it may not be cycling for for anyone else um but certainly i i would recommend to people to seek if they are if they are so if they do suffer from stress certainly from work is to seek something a hobby that is quite an active one um to hopefully give them that that same release that certainly i feel when i feel that state of flow on, on the bike okay so we've come to the point of um the quick fire round questions mm-hmm. so the first one is if you could change one thing about the world what would it be fake news i hate it with a passion um and i see a lot more of it through social media um i'm shown it a lot more through social media as well um i i think tiktok as a platform amazing they, they've done so well and, and huge huge platform um but certainly through that medium more than others uh i've been shown i don't use tiktok myself but i've been shown you know fake news fake sort of uh, advice as well um and I, I i don't it's not helping anyone i don't understand why we create content for almost it, it's there for clickbait i guess isn't it but I, I I really don't like it. And what I, I found this really interesting. Sorry, I know it's quick fire. I'm going to, I'll try and be quick with this. I, I found really interesting the um, policies that the French government are bringing out now for influencers to show that when they've edited their photos, they have to show that now. I think that's probably where, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of the legalities around social media is going to go to start preventing, you know, the fake news and the the fake sort of, advice i've seen uh people giving re- recruitment advice on tiktok and it is awful <laughs> um so that that would be the thing that i would like to change in in the world and i think it it is slowly happening as we become more aware of it and what advice would you give to someone who wants to change their direction but doesn't know where to start speak to people speak to people that that you trust um i mentioned earlier about changing what not careers but changing companies i don't think i realized the extent of my unhappiness until i spoke with close family members um my fiance and they they sort of really drummed it home to me that that was the cause of the unhappiness so i'd really recommend to seek advice you know whether that be family friends partners um really whoever i think you trust and feel most comfortable with if you if you 
are thinking about a change, go and seek and ask and look for advice from people. And what's going to be your next big change? Uh, My next big change, I am getting married next year. So that will be my next big change. I I will uh, have a wife. Uh, That's the biggest change. (laughs) (laughs) For certain. I'm sure it will be... uh, yeah, I'm sure. It, 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 I'm I'm excited. I think it's gonna gonna be uh really yeah, it, it's gonna be really nice. Not sure how much will change initially, and that's gonna be another another journey, isn't it? Really. So I'm I'm excited for for the journey um of being a husband, so to speak. So yeah. And if you could recommend someone that I should invite and have a conversation such as this onto the podcast, who who would that be? Um. I know a lot of people can. <laughs> <laughs> you can um, give me more than one. So, uh, you know, someone um, who I've been speaking to more recently over the past few months, who who uh, I used to speak with um, a lot a number of years ago, is Jackie Hudson. Um, I don't know if you've come across her yourself, but Jackie used to be the HR director for Liberty Living, um, the purposeful student accommodation provider. Um, Jackie set up her, her own uh, HR consultancy now, um, and she she is, in my opinion, she is just extremely knowledgeable. Um, I think certainly in regards to you know the topic of change, um, she would be someone that 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 I would recommend speaking to because of the amount of sort of change processes that she's been involved with in in her career in in hr really um and she's really nice and quite an interesting person so (laughs) probably probably um jackie i'd recommend i could recommend a lot of people but i I will say actually uh, i'd recommend speaking to jackie okay well we'll uh we'll certainly tag her in the post and um hopefully uh get her on an episode in the future um James, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, I think, you know, I I wanted to to have this conversation because, you know, I don't think there's many other people out there in PBSA and and you know the property sectors that have the passion and the knowledge for, as you said at the beginning, helping people with the next step in their careers and doing it in a real supportive and respectful way. Um, and uh, I think um, every every candidate or client I've come across that have, uh, that have worked with you, either getting themselves a new job or, or finding their, their next team members has always had positive things to say. And um, so thanks for coming on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Really appreciate that, Gareth. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.